dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, happy 101st to you, Kayleen. Happy 101 to you. <laughs> so we did kind of a podcasting faux pas last week. And we forgot to mention that last week's episode was indeed our 100th episode of HPJ Talk. Um, It's really kind of hard to believe that we have 100 episodes under our belts because those first days, do you remember them, Kayleen, how uh, that crazy idea of ours kind of came about? (laughs) (laughs) We were awfully excited about it at first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still excited about it. Oh, yeah, I am too. You know, we're going to that first seminar about learning about podcasting and how everybody else was using it. And it just seemed like it was a a really good fit for us because we could go over the the week's news. We could have newsmaker interviews on. uh, We were we just had a a way to expand our reach to our, our readers. And I think we've we've done a good job, fairly good job. What's been your favorite episode that we've done, Kayleen? I'm not real sure. I think probably the the hot zone one and maybe the, the astronaut one were pretty cool. The opioid one was kind of neat to be able to involve the whole staff, too. You know, that was one of my favorites early on when we had the, the big package on the opioid crisis in, in rural America. That was right at the start of, of HPJ Talk, and putting everybody on, um, even remotely was a feat. (laughs) We didn't know what we were doing. Um, but it was really neat to be able to sit and talk about gathering stories with our colleagues. And it's kind of like sitting around, um, at a, at a bar and trading war stories kind of for, for reporters. And so that was really kind of cool. Um, I think for my favorite, it's, it's right up there with the hot zone and, and uh, astronaut Nick Haig. Um, but I also think talking to um, Natasha Nichols of Houseful of Nichols, uh, that was really great for, for us to have that different perspective. I think anytime that we can get outside voices on HPJ Talk, that's a, a good day for us or a good week for us. So, yeah, you know, we, we really had no idea <laughs> what we were doing, but... We sure fumbled our way through it, and our listeners have uh, have kept riding along with us. So, hey, thanks to you all for the, for doing that. Um, okay, so now this week's highlights in agriculture and pop culture as well. So we're in the second month of COVID nineteen precautions. It is uh, starting to have an effect on everybody. I have now reached the point of stir crazy, Kayleen. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I, I resorted to gardening yesterday and I can grow weeds and yeah, that's about it. <laughs> I got the lawn mowed for the first time, but I'm going to have to go out there and lower the deck and, and mow it a little bit tighter, I think. I cannot wait until if we can um, start planting flowers around here. I've got to get some color because I'm just, I'm really stir crazy, Kayleen. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll try living 10 miles out of town <laughs> oh how are the boys getting along well john's been going with his dad and chance has been here at the house they were trading off but spence got tangled up with a horse and was a little sore so he needed somebody strong enough to open gates for him so sean had to go with him well that'll be good for sean he'll be developing those muscles yeah, he keeps trying to tell me, oh, I'm taller than you now, Mom. No, not quite. <laughs> Pretty Although soon. Although my, my, he did put my flip-flop on the other night. It fit him and our, we measured our feet and they're about the same, so. <laughs> oh, honey. You know, you've got a really tall husband, so likely you are going to be the shortest thing around that property. <laughs> Next to the corgis. At least the corgis will always yeah. be smaller than you. <laughs> Yeah, somebody will be. Well, I tell you what, we, like I said, we're on the second month of COVID-19 precautions. And um, not only is it starting to have effects on us individually, but we're starting to see effects on our processors that supply products to retailers. Uh, we're hearing reports of milk dumping. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Later on in the episode, actually, we'll hear from Kansas dairy farmer Justin Oldie about the situation. And we're starting to get reports of packing plants that are having to temporarily shut down due, due to employees being diagnosed with COVID-19, including the Smith, Smithfield facility in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where 80 employees have tested positive. This could have an effect on the supply chain, but that's yet to be determined. You know, we're seeing more and more, um, with more and more testing, you will find more and more people that test positive for COVID-19. Employers are having to, you know, figure out their, their contingency plans for that, how to keep those supply chains moving. And it's not just the employees that may be testing, but you also have uh, supply constrictions. Um, anytime you, you, you wiggle one part of the chain, there are ripple effects on down on um, the chain, whether it's go, like in the milk supply, the processors are seeing that their entire Retail chain, uh, retail accounted for about 25% of milk demand, right? Whereas the larger food service industry takes, food service and export industry take the other 75% of the milk that's produced in the United States. Well, when you start keeping people home from eating out and you shut down the schools and you have uh, uh, kids that are not dining and at school, that demand for that larger size of a product um, packaging goes away. Well, those lines can't just, you know, be changed overnight. And nobody's got freezer space for five gallons of ice cream at a time, you know. <laughs> so uh, you're starting to see things like that that are, are um, starting to see the ripple effects coming down the, the pike. Um, it's, it's just a really complex situation. And so I caution our, our listeners and our readers, you know, don't just assume that what you hear online, what you hear, you know, rumor on Facebook and 
the Twitter sphere and everything, don't just assume that that is the the true story. You know what? If you've got a question about something that you're seeing, a, a some some sort of sign that you're seeing in the store about you know limits of of product here and there, uh, let us know. You know, give us a call at the office, and those calls get forwarded to our phone lines working from our home. Uh, that number is one eight hundred four five two seven one seven one. Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com. It is really a complex situation, and there are so many moving parts, and, and we want to explore those moving parts and, and try to, you know, spread facts and not fear. Right, Kayleen? Right. You know, uh, life's just not going to snap back to normal on a dime either, uh, but we will probably return to some sort of equilibrium. I got to say, what... What do you kind of miss? What are you on maybe instead of what do you miss, but what are you looking forward to after the curve gets flattened and, and life returns to equilibrium, Kayleen? Probably being able to just go do the things that I need to do and not worry about, well, is there ground beef in the store? Is there milk in the store? Is there toilet paper for yeah. God's sakes in the store? And it, did I wash my hands well enough just to go to the damn grocery store? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm fed up. I hit a point this morning after I saw they postponed all the 4-H stuff in Kansas till the 4th of July. And it just kind of put a damper on my whole attitude. I've been pretty sour today and not very happy about the whole situation. Yep. You know, I worry about the county fairs. Um, not just the kids that have that have stock to show. Yes, that is, you know, your children have have pigs. Your your son got a couple of pigs, and and uh, you know he was going to probably show some of his cousins' goats too. You know, I, I get that, but we also have to think about the communities that rely on that shot in the arm of of added income of fairgoers, the motels, the restaurants, the. Uh, the supply stores, the feed and seed stores. Um, my friends that operate a family, a fourth generation family run regional carnival. Yes, I, I am friends with carnies <laughs> and I look at them and they should, they've got all of their equipment out. They're working on it. They're, they're doing their updates and upkeep on it before they were supposed to head out to the road. I don't know if they're going to be able to play their first few dates in May. Likely not. Yeah. And that's a big chunk of change from, a, you know, somebody that relies on those contract dates to make a major portion of the funds that they use to operate for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I even got to thinking, you know, he's got other projects that he can do on 4-H and do in the fair. But, you know, one of his favorite ones is the photography. Yeah. Where where do I send his photos to be printed at? Because the two printers that I primarily use are closed because of the stay-at-home orders. Yeah. And you could go to the local box store or whatever and get crappy prints, but, you know, that doesn't sit right with me. Because <laughs> I'm a snob with the photos. But still, I mean, you have to consider all the aspects when you're hunting for his 4-H stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, you know, at some point in time, we're going to have to ease up on this. But at the same time, Kayleen, I worry. I really do have a valid, I mean, I, I really do worry about, okay, if we go and open up the gates, 
all right, everybody back to normal, go for it. But people don't take their, their precautions seriously and they don't keep making sure that they wash their hands before, you know, after they've been out in public and touching things and, you know, we, we keep shaking hands and we go and we cough and we don't cover our mouths or we're out exercising and, and, you know, breathing heavy in that, that fog of air. <laughs> um, I worry that we'll be right back in the situation we're in right now, you know, it, yeah. it, and a little bit harder. I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor, but there's got to be a point where somebody goes, you know what? It's, it's okay to go back to normal, but continue to be cautious. You know, there's no reason for, you know, kids to be licking on carts at the store. (laughs) I wonder or not, you can't stop them from doing that. (laughs) They're going to put their mouths on stuff they want to and they don't care they don't know I know I know I just (laughs) I I keep thinking about all the ways that people affect other people in their orbit and we're gonna it's gonna be different I don't know if I'm gonna be a handshaker when this is all done you know yeah maybe that makes me a weirdo but do we really need to shake people's hands there's other ways to greet them I I prefer finger guns you know pew pew uh <laughs> there is the bow and curtsy. <laughs> we need to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, let's not. <laughs> oh come on, Kayleen, I want to see you curtsy. Don't <laughs> bite me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would not do well in, in uh in Victorian England. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what. After the curve, I am never going to take for granted dining in our favorite hole-in-the-wall restaurant with the fella and going to his parents for Easter dinners and celebrating birthdays with my littles. Um, Heck, even just window shopping in the non-essential stores. You know what? I'm looking forward to all of that. And we will have plenty of time for that after we get through this. I, I firmly believe it, you know? I hope you're right, because I had to tell my my six-year-old, that we weren't going to go to his aunt and uncle's house because of this whole mess. And he started crying. It was, wasn't was a very good reaction out of him. Yeah, and it's tough to break their hearts, but, you know, my, my fella had to have a, a hard conversation with his 16-year-old son who could not comprehend why he couldn't go back to, you know, to normal and hanging out with his buddies and going and driving up and down the main street and in Hayes America. And bluntly put, you bring that home, you could kill your grandmother. You bring it home, you could kill somebody. You know, you have the power to to keep people to stop it in its tracks by just staying away from each other. It is the weirdest thing for for people that depend on social contact, even social contact within our families. You know, I haven't seen, I haven't had a a date with the fella in over a month. We've gotten to see each other on FaceTime, but he lives 35 miles away from me and in a different town. And we just have decided, you know what? We're not going to chance spreading something from Dodge City to Kinsley and Kinsley back to Dodge. So... 
everybody's hurting. What is what is the line, our favorite line from our favorite movie? What can I say? It's COVID-19 and we're all in misery. <laughs> Pretty much. So, so yeah, um, th- there is a reason for this self-isolation, right, Keeling? That's right, because there is there is a reason for the self-isolation to stop the virus in its tracks. So what are you going to do on the other side of the pandemic? Drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at the office, 1-800-452-7171. Hey, do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and be sure to leave us a review. This week's episode will bring you the stories you might have missed in the April 6th print edition. We'll bring you an interview with Justin Oldie of Kansas Dairy. And Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have those final thoughts. For 101 episodes, you've chosen to ride along with us here on HPJ Talk. Thanks for your support. And we'll continue to bring the ag news and commentary to you for many more episodes to come. story this week is from Lacey Newland, weed-free, profit-full, about a program to reduce invasive weed species circulated through hay and forage sales. Certified weed-free forage and mulch can limit the spread of noxious weeds, especially in our high plain states. On the coronavirus front, editor Dave Bergmeier writes about what's in store for agriculture from the $2 trillion economic stimulus package that was recently passed to address the global pandemic's economic effects. The National Farmers Union reports that $185 million is earmarked for support of critical rural access hospitals, rural tribal health and telehealth programs, and poison control centers. Another $25 million is set aside for improved access to distance learning and telemedicine. To see what else is in the stimulus package, be sure to look at the story in the print edition or online at www.hpj.com. We also have a story on supply chains from our colleague David Murray the direct and indirect effects of COVID-19 on labor, trucking, manufacturing, processing, and retail and distribution are varied. And then on the opinion and editorials page, Kayleen, you have the editorial spot this week reminding us that not all education happens in the classroom. Parents need to understand that even without formal classes at schools, there's plenty of opportunity to learn hands-on from parents on the farm and ranch. Right, Kayleen? I don't know if Sean would agree with that. But I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The the outside of a horse is often good for the inside of a kid, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and Seymour clearly, he writes about the Capitol Hill's response to the coronavirus pandemic. And of course, we have Dave Bergmeier bringing us a book review of Sobble, Stories from the Flint Hills. Field editor Lacey Newland writes about how the novel coronavirus has forced state FFA meetings to be canceled or delayed. And Jenny, your Common Ground column for this week looks at what life after the curve might look like. By the way, folks, you'll see that we are running an early bird special discount on registration for our Cattle U and Trade Show July 29th and 30th in Dodge City. Attendee registration is just $85 until April 30th, and that increases to $135 on May 1. That's a $50 savings if you get your registration in before April 30th. 
And for exhibitors, we have 20% off all booth spaces until April 30th. Don't miss your chance to join us at Cattle U. Visit www.cattleu.net. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. everybody back to HPJ Talk and uh, joining us on the podcast this week is Justin Oldie. Uh, he's risk management officer for Oldie Family Farms in Lynn, Kansas, and he's also uh, on the Kansas Dairy Board. And uh, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've got a, a bit of a situation with dairy markets and, and things right now in the middle of the COVID crisis, but um, before we get into that, let's talk about how was the dairy industry before COVID? Because there was some bright spots, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of had a, well, if you go way back, you know, we had a really good year in 2014. Um, and then things kind of tapered off and, and we're having just a little bit of a hangover from that um, worldwide. There are a bunch of powder spots, uh, stocks in Europe, and it was really hard to get prices really moving because of that. Um Last year, I think, 2019, 2018, we kind of started moving through those those stockpiles. Um, and then last year, we finally got rid of them. So that kind of allowed everything to kind of start moving. Um, you know, production was somewhat tempered, and uh, demand was actually really, really, really good. Um, going into the end of last year, you know, we had the highest prices we've seen in, oh, I don't know, three, four, five years probably. Yeah. Um, and demand was holding in well. Um, you know, at the November traded 20, settled in 20s, so we're 20 bucks. Um, and, you know, that was probably a little bit too high, but, you know, the, the thought of the industry was we could hold in, you know, 16, 17 bucks probably. You know, maybe 17 is a little optimistic, but, you know, kind of around break even uh, through the first part of this year and some possibilities that it could get a lot better uh, as we go to the end of the year. It was kind of funny. We were talking about trade deals. It seemed like every day, and now that's completely. <laughs> we signed a trade deal, and then all we've done is talk about COVID. Um, so, so now just to of, so just to clarify for you know folks that aren't in, in the dairy industry, sixteen and seventeen bucks. That's per pound of liquid milk that leaves your farm. Is that the is that the price that you get paid, or is that a different price? So sixteen dollars is per hundred pounds of milk, which okay. is about twelve gallons of milk. Wow. So that's a little bit over a dollar a gallon of milk. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's where we were at before COVID. Um, so COVID comes to U.S. shores and people start having to self-isolate. And then we start, you know, having people stay inside to um, um, and, and restaurants start shutting down service inside and, and you know, go switch to takeout and, and uh, delivery. And uh, we now see that the situation has changed drastically for, for dairy, right? Yes. So it's, not, it's my understanding that it's mostly supply chain and not something that, that dairy farmers are doing out of spite or, 
or anything along those lines, any of those rumors we're hearing out in the public, it's it's really a matter of an oversupply of the raw materials and trying to get it in a package that consumers and retailers can use. But you're explain that to us because you have a better handle on it than I do. Yeah, so one of the unique things about the, the dairy supply chain is we have to, we're continually making product, um, you know, 24-7. And we, we cannot shut cows off. I mean, no factory ever wants to shut down. But, you know, at some point, the economics can dictate, well, I can shut my plant down, you know, and pay for the rent or whatever and not have a variable cost. Obviously, we got cows are taken care of. We can't do that. they got to eat. we got to take care of them. Well, and if so, you were to try to, to stop milking a dairy cow, that's that's detrimental to her, right? Right. And it doesn't only affect today. It's like, well, knock your production back. It's like, well, yes, we can, we can change our action. We can do some things to lower our production. But then it takes nine months probably to get that all back. Ooh. And nobody's going to, going to be caught short. Uh, hopefully, this is more of a shorter-term deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later in the year, people will at least somewhat get back to us living around and the man gets back to normal, or kind of normal, whatever the new normal is going to be at that point. That's true. And, you know, we can't just turn the, the supply back on, and then, you know, we'll be short uh, of milk, you know, later in the year, and nobody wants that either. So it's just a, it's a very hard thing to kind of manage. At the farm level. <clears throat> yeah, you know, that's just at the farm level, so... So that milk has to go somewhere, and the processors are within 100 miles of y'all. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of processors out there. What are they facing with all of this milk coming in? So it, it depends on where you're at. Um, the bottling industry has picked up, as everybody can probably guess. Um, you know, and, and honestly, the bottling side of things, we were 75% of our demand was retail uh, prior to this, and then about 25% restaurant. So some of that has shifted over. But you have, um, there's a butter plant up in, they're up north, either Wisconsin or, or Minnesota. You know, they completely do packaging for retail. Well, there's no retail. So they quit taking milk. So let's say, for example, that that plant is taking 50 loads of milk a day. Okay, well, now that's 50 loads of milk a day that needs to go somewhere else. So they move it south to try to fill a plant down there. Well, on that plant, that's too much. You know, and you just have this case, cascade water effect. So you, uh, it uh, happens throughout the industry. Because one thing we do, because cows are, are uh, seasonal um, as far as production goes, mm-hmm. because when the weather's nicer out, days are longer. You know, right now we have what we call our spring flush, is when most areas get the most milk um, throughout the entire year, which coincided very badly with the supply issue, the demand issue. Yeah. And because cows like cooler weather and they like longer days. So, you know, springtime is, is usually the best, best time for that. But... So you've got to manage the, the high times of the year like now and then also the lower times of the year like summertime. So we've got them at this time of year where they're already they're already ramping up production. The the engine has has you know started getting a little bit quicker and and uh, it's starting to rev up. Yeah, yeah. So so you, you have that this increasing supply just right before demand just completely crashes. So that so I guess where I was going with that was stair stepping milk is not unique to our industry because mm-hmm. we got whether we got biological animals, we got all that kind of stuff. So it, that's kind of normal. So things do get shifted. So you know, yes, most of the plants local, but also it cools down in the south. There's more milk down there. Kind of shifts up, shifts back down. You know that that's 
that's not uncommon. It's just usually there's a destination for it. And if you take a couple plants that shut down, um, you know, butter plant, for example, or a barrel plant, a cheese plant, mm-hmm. you have a couple plants shut down. Well, now all of a sudden you got like 50 or 100 loads of milk you got to get rid of. And oh, by the way, you got a couple plants that are randomly shutting down because of, of uh, employees with COVID. Well, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you're doing this in the face of, of crashing milk prices. So it's like, well, do you try to ship something that's going to cost you $8 a hundredweight when the milk's worth six? I mean, that doesn't really work out either. So yeah. um, there, there's just a lot of logistical issues to try to figure out in these situations. Well, and, and for, for people that don't understand, milk has to be processed into something. It has to be bottled. It has to be made, started making into cheese or yogurt or ice cream or something along those lines within 24 hours. I mean, it, it has, it's perishable the minute it comes out of the cow. And there's a reason why we have milk trucks going on the road 24 hours a day and, and how that cycle keeps going because you can't just put it in a bin, chill it down for an extended period of time and be like, yeah, everything's good. Right? Yeah. No, that's correct. I mean, you know, like corn, for example, you know, your ethanol plant doesn't take it. Yes, that's a huge issue, and I totally understand that. But at the same time, you get it in a van or an elevator or something. You don't have to take the truck and just dump it on the side of the road or in a field or something like that. I mean, there is an alternative. It might not be good, but there is one. You know, even a, a pen of cattle. It's like, yes, they should go today, but, you know, you can't feed them another week. And feed them another 10 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you eventually kind of have to catch the system up, but we just do not have that option. So there's probably something else out there like that, but it's just definitely unique. So, well, and, and for people that don't, may not understand, they see signs at the grocery store that say, you know, hey, limit two bottles, uh, two gallons of milk or whatever per customer. Um, and they're seeing that, you know, trucks are, are having to be dumped because they don't see, they don't understand why the retail sector isn't catching up, it's really difficult for some of those plants to switch from the large quantities for the wholesale and the the food service industry down to a packaging that's the right size for a retail industry. I'm, I love call hall ice cream, but I don't have the freezer space for a five gallon tub, right? <laughs> yep. No, exactly. And some people found out that, oh, it kind of goes bad and they bought too much and then it spoils. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Everybody's learning uh, a little bit along this, uh, along this line. So yes, it is. It is. There is a, a dynamic to it of plants retooling and different packaging and different things like that. So okay. So what do you hear from um, the? You know, we we still got the restaurant and food service industry that are still using a little bit of dairy. Um, we're more likely to see that in the form of big giant tubs of butter and and you know lots of cheese with our bacon cheeseburgers, right? Yeah, those bacon cheeseburgers, the McDonald's type stuff, um, you know, that's that's usually processed cheese. So we, we make too many kinds of cheddar. Um, it's a block cheddar and then more of a processed type cheese. Okay. And you process your Velveeta, um, stuff along those lines. And that stuff is mostly found on burgers. And I don't know about the audience, but, you know, most people at home, you're going to buy an 8-ounce block of cheddar. You're going to get an 8-ounce uh, block of a... You know, pepper jack or kojak or something like that. So that that does, even if overall cheese demand doesn't change significantly, that's an entirely different process. That takes a whole other, either different plan or a different setup to make. So, wow. so yes, there's definitely 
a lot of different things that go on, you know, like mozzarella. It's like we're moving, I mean, it sounds like Domino's, uh, Papa John's, all those companies are moving a pretty decent amount of pizza. Mm-hmm. But mozzarella is a whole other animal, and you can't, you can only freeze so much of it. You can only make so much of it you know, before you can't store it anymore. And then on the, on the cheddar side, it's like, well, yes, we can store it, but it takes money to hold that. And it also takes storage capacity. So, you know, those are some of the next things that we could run into if the system doesn't kind of unclog itself. You know, this just this just really brings to light how much, how delicate we were dancing on the head of a pin as far as on-time delivery and processing and getting it from the cow to the truck to the processor to the, the truck to the grocery store or to the, the end user. And everything was this delicate balancing act of like a, like a dance almost. And the song changed on everybody. <laughs> We're all out of step yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, that is for sure. So what the, exactly does dumping a, a load of milk entail for you at the farm level? I mean, do you just, you know, turn on the spigot and let it go down a drain? Or is there a proper way to dispose of it? Is there a way that helps you when you dispose of it? feeding so are there some feedlots that can add that to a ration or is that something that you know the calf starters or or something along those lines can use and um, when they're developing heifers and, well, and things yeah definitely calves um you know and i can't speak enough to the feedlot or heifer side of it because we haven't not we have not done that yet mm-hmm. uh, but you know protein so it's a ethanol plant shutting down there's been a shortage of the solar trains which in turn has kind of ran all these protein markets up. Um, so there is decent protein in milk. I mean, it's 3%, 3.2% protein, so it's also real wet. Um, so, yeah, I would think there'd be something there. It's just how does it make sense? And then when you're not sure how much milk you're going to dump every day, yeah. it kind of makes it tough to make a consistent uh, use out of it. So there's, there's, there's challenges on that also. So um, how... Uh... How long can dairy farmers go inside this COVID curve where everybody's kind of, you know, the situation is all just up in the air and everything and, and processors are doing their best to retool some lines here and, and figure out their, their part of the dance. Um, how, can, how long can dairy farmers like you go before we start looking at the herd and just going, all right, now's a good time to call. Now's a good time to, you know, reduce the number of replacement heifers. And that has long-term, that, that has extra consequences, too, down the road for you, all right? Yeah, I, I, I would think most everybody's looking at those uh, those things right now. I mean, I've talked to most people that are calling extra cows right now. Um, and one thing about the dairy industry is we, we're behind as far as what we get paid. Like, we're not going to get paid for our March belt until, well, for another week. Mm-hmm. And then the prices aren't going to get real bad until April. So, you know, we're five, six weeks out from actually getting a bad check. 
going mm-hmm. up coming. So if you're not paying attention, you might not quite get the signal uh, soon enough. But so as far as uh, calling, yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at everything. Um, you know, April milk right now is about 14 bucks. Um, and a lot of the stump milk is going to take away from the basis side of that. So mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be that good. And if you look into May, the, the products that we're currently trading, so milk is based off of cheese and whey price. Um, and if you look at that, you know, May milk should be about 10 bucks right now. Mm-hmm. Not 12 like the more stream. And, you know, maybe there's some demand that kicks up and it, it comes back up. But definitely not hopeful for May. Um, maybe later on. So, yeah, if it takes, you know, $8 a hundred weight, 7 $8 bucks a weight to see it now. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking at getting paid 10 and if you have a dollar basis and a dollar to trade it, you know, you're pretty well to break even there. So it's definitely something guys are looking at. Um, the challenge becomes, is there going to be some type of a, a program for some dump milk? So it's like, okay, I, I can start reducing my supply, but do I really want to do that? If there's going to be some kind of a, a program, how do you measure that? Um, you know, there's just a lot of, still a lot of uh, questionables in the air right now. Okay, so let's talk about, um, you know, milk isn't the only industry that's that's seen this. Uh, we hear reports from our friends in the beef industry that, that there's um, that same supply, um, you know, change in the size of packaging that's available and, and or that's going through the process. Um, we've got friends in the, the vegetable and, and fruit industry. Um so it's important for people that are listening to understand that it's not just the milk guys that are having this situation. It's, it's all up and down the, the whole chain of, of trying to trade, trying to change out a, an entire process from a wholesale size to a retail size. That's, that's really what it boils down to. Right, Justin? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And we went from a society that I don't think half our food was eating in restaurants, but half their income in restaurants, I believe, mm-hmm. to almost zero overnight. And, you know, like, I try to tell people, too, it's like, you know, if you're a family of four, two parents go to work, two kids go to school, everybody's lunch out of the house, you out a couple times a week, you know, even you don't know, I don't think, exactly what you're going to start eating when you're all four at home 24-7. Yeah. You know, much less trying to have the grocery store figure that out, much less the processors. You know, and then it's also still going to be a little bit of an act of, okay, what does this look like post-COVID? Um, you know, because at some point we're going to start reducing ourselves back in society. There's going to be probably be a, a spike of, of restaurant demand to try to restock some things. But then what does that look like? What's longer term? And how many people are actually going to go out? And, you know, do you have <laughs> as much as you did before? There's just so many things that nobody's, nobody knows that we're going to find out here in the next six months. So. You know, they say, may you live in interesting times, but I'd really st- wish they'd stop saying that. <laughs> um, so, so talk about policy for policy help for dairy. You mentioned that there, there could be something in the books or something that is, is being worked out on. What are some specific points in a policy that could help dairy farmers uh, get through a situation that nobody had on their radar. Nobody could have possibly planned for a worldwide pandemic to upend the apple cart as much as this has. Yeah. Um, you know, I have never thought of supply restraint um, program 
words, and I have never been a horde, but now might be a time to kind of look at it. Mm-hmm. Because hopefully we're looking at a short-term thing. Um, National Milk put out a proposal, I think yesterday, um, whether like if you give 90% of your milk, they'll still pay you like three bucks a hundred weight on a 10% drop. Okay, mm-hmm. well that sounds good, but 10% is a lot, and it's how do you measure it? You know, there are some people that have really grown in the last 12 months versus people that stayed the same. So how do you kind of make those people? Um, you know, there's some people that have done risk management and hedged their milk prices. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a shot to those guys because, like, well, the guys that don't do anything get bailed out while we are doing the right things. You know, so there's that argument out there. Um, and taking back 10% of our supply, talking about jobs and employees and plants, well, there's 10% less folks to run some plants. Excuse me. Now all of a sudden, well, what are those plants going to do? Who gets shut down? Who lays people off the bone? So I think, I don't know, it's, it's a long, it's tough. <laughs> it really is hard to figure it out. Um, now, I kind of think a better alternative would be if we could cut back on the farm, I'm going to say 2 to 5%, mm-hmm. because I think that's manageable on our end, and I think we can get most of that milk back fairly quickly um, from a, from a uh, producer standpoint. And then if the government would come in, because I've seen – Estimates of our unemployment rate getting over 30%, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if they can buy some of this really cheap stuff, give it away in the food banks. Mm-hmm. I think that helps helps the unemployed, helps the farmers uh, from just piling up a massive stockpile of product. And you're keeping the plants running and those people employed and everything else. You're kind of trying to keep the system close to normal without having these huge stockpiles of product and able to, to turn back on. Um, on the other side of this. Right. Well, now, so, I don't know. Well, and, and you've also got people that, speaking of, of um, you know, sending it to food banks and such, uh, that's one of the things that somebody, um, that a lot of people say is, well, why are they dumping it? I'll go and I'll buy it straight from that, that dairy, but your hands are tied. You, you really can't sell it out the door, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I grew up drinking raw milk off the farm, but there's just so many, you, you get into a lot of, a lot of, issues possibly um, by doing that so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a food <laughs> I safety recommend that to anybody, I'll just say. <laughs> well so, yeah that's a that's a very real food safety issue you don't want to be the dairy that that gets people sick and um nobody nobody wants to be that person so um i, I understand right. totally understand um okay so let's let's look at life outside the curve on the other side of the curve the covid curve um, what does, what can we as consumers do to, uh, to help dairies? Uh, you know, do you see people looking at this going, you know what, I think I need to eat more cheese and I need to eat more yogurt. Um, how can we help with demand? Um, I, know, I think, you know, look at recipes for with cheese, different types of things like that. If you go to the store and there's no milk out, you know, ask, ask the manager, be like, Hey, what's, what's going on? You know, it might be as simple as, well, we're short-staffed and we've got twice the demand we've ever had, so the dairy guy's putting, you know, canned beans on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And it might be as simple as that. Um, you know, and it might be a, the uh, company-wide thing from a grocery store standpoint. Well, we ran out of milk a couple weeks ago. We don't want to now. You know, it's like, well, hey, we got past that initial shock. There should be enough milk out there. I, I think that would, 
that would probably do about as much good as anything. Just like, hey, if you can't get it, if you can't see it, just ask. And if enough people start asking, you know, hopefully that gets uh, that helps get the supply chain uh, working more like it should. Well, and Justin, is there anything I've forgotten to ask that you want people to understand, whether it's about being a dairy farmer in Kansas or, or uh, you know, the current situation we're in or, or anything along those lines? I mean, this thing has affected all of our lives or will affect all of our lives to some extent. Um, and it's just trying to see over the horizon and see what's going to be next. Um, but no, I mean, I appreciate, I do want to say I appreciate all of our, all of our employees and everybody that, that, uh, is in the farming industry. I mean, it's, it's definitely rough right now. Um, and I definitely want to thank all the medical people out there because the doctors, nurses, everybody there, you know, they're, they're going right into this thing, uh, to help take care of us. So just I want to say I appreciate those people. So. Well, Justin, thanks so much for, for coming on HPJ Talk today. And I got to tell you guys, you know, behind every single dairy that's out there, there are people like Justin and his family and their employees that are doing their very best every single day to make sure that our supply, our, our milk is always there and, you know, fresh to us in the stores. They're busting, you know, everything they, they can do to make sure that, um, that it's safe and it's wholesome and it's uh, readily available. And so I tell you what, Justin, I'm going to add the next time I go and get my, my groceries at, at the store, the local store, and I I'm wearing my mask and being all safe, doing my one trip a week, I'm going to throw an extra, um, tub of butter, real butter in there. And, um, hope we all, I'll, we'll all do our part to help y'all all out. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. All right. Well, hey, thanks again, Justin, for joining us on HPJ Talk. And folks, if you want to learn more about this situation, um, remember, you can always visit us um, online anytime at www.hpj.com. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Product Resources on March 31st. Corn was down at $3.31. Wheat was up at $4.50. Milo was down at $3 and a penny. And soybeans were down at $7.91. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the Rural Lifestyle issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes April 13th with a story from Shauna Rumbaugh. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at hpjtalk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights 
Extension of High Plains Journal. All rights reserved.